the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From policy to culture, principles to politics, this is The Seth Leibson Show. Welcome back. I am Seth Leibson. As we head into Hour 2 this Wednesday, July 6, 2022, it is a delight to bring back, as we do every Wednesday, our congressman currently representing Arizona's 6th Congressional District. I say currently because the numbers are changing, but it's 6 for right now. Representative David Schweikert, welcome back to the show, sir. How are you? Oh, just living the chaos. I think we all are. Yeah, there's a lot. Boy, howdy. I want to talk to you about some of that in a moment. But first, as Virgil said, here too the Honorable finds its due. I saw a picture of... Oh, yeah. I saw a picture of a Mr. Schweikert, a Mrs. Schweikert, a young girl Schweikert, and something even younger than that. Can you explain that picture, David? All right. Um... Uh, my little sister went and put it up on her Facebook page. So, you know, it, it's amazing how many followers she has. Um, so picture this. It's Wednesday. You get a call out of nowhere saying, hi, I'm a social worker. Um, your little girl's birth mom just had a little boy. Um, she wants you to have him. And you get to call your wife and say, hey, um, uh, let me pa- let me pause really you just for the and... audience, just for the audience that doesn't know your 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 little girl uh, Olivia is is an adopted child, as are you, and sure, and, sure. and yeah, okay, so, so that's my, so are my siblings, right? So that's and... uh, that's what that meant. So go ahead, yes. So oh yeah, okay. And and, and you turn to your um, spouse and you're trying to text her at work where she's incredibly busy and say, um, we really need to talk, <laughs> and. and Um, The the Dear Lord does have a sense of humor, Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes that sense of humor is the timing of life. So it's the middle of the campaign, the middle of everything else, and and there's this little five-pound something, you know, 11 ounces little boy that may have been exposed to some rough stuff, but he's the biological sibling of your your daughter, who's the best little girl ever. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, so all of a sudden, um, we have a, a little tyke around the house. Now, like, got to understand, we still got to go through the hoop. You know, we still got to get the house certified. We still got to get, you know, the whole adoption process. But right now, we have this little guy, and, and, and he's doing great. You know, the smile on how old's Olivia now? Um, six and three quarters, and she's giddy. Yeah, I'm looking at this smile, man. Oh my gosh, David! Did you guys even sleep that night? Well, uh... it's an incredible thing. Did I lose you? Did, did I lose you in the middle of this? Did we hit mute or did I? Get... Yeah. Go well, ahead. this is crazy, but we're going to do the best. Wow, David! Wonderful. Does the boy have a name yet, or well, not? not? Not yet. Actually. I'm embarrassed to say he doesn't. No, no, I, a, I, I would have guessed that he didn't. I would have a, guessed that he didn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're having a little bit of a family discussion because, yeah. you know, being an adopted kid, I, we were trying to come up with a name combination for 
my father, my birth father, yeah. my birth mother. I find so alliteration helps a lot. So Seth Schweikert has its own kind of ring to it. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That would actually be really hard to pronounce. Seth Schweikert. <laughs> David, listen, uh, from my audience and family to yours, congratulations. Uh, Yes, I know there's more work to do, but this is an amazing thing and beautiful. But but, but just the basic ethics. Um, You know, for many of us who are pro-life, pro-family, there was never a question, we're going to do the right thing. Yeah. Um, And, you know, being in a post-Roe v. Wade world, I think for all of us, we, we, we got to sort of live the love, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's we win the battle by demonstrating that life is the most important thing in our in our existence. And um, it is just so much fun. It's exhausting. Well, yes, but it's, but it's not hard, right? I mean, I'm looking at the—you can say it is, but I'm looking at the faces of you and your wife oh, and your daughter. Oh. This this is this is all joy. This is just— it's well, it, what we're made to do. It, it gives me chills, David. Well, congratulations to your family and uh, just beautiful. Keep us posted on, on that, the naming and the officialness of it all and all that. I don't think that's a word, but you know what I mean. David, talk to me about the chaos. This is an incredible thing to me. I, I don't really don't like polls because of the snapshot, but it's a hell of a snapshot when nine out of 10 Americans are saying we're on the wrong track. I mean, I was talking to the audience earlier saying, you know, you have a debate with someone about the Biden administration and feel free to, to have a discussion uh, and debate the merits. But maybe the first question to them is, OK, you're supporting this administration. Can you tell me why nine out of 10 Americans think that we're going in the wrong direction? That's a hell of a number, David. It's Look, how many independents out there who had trouble with the tone of President Trump? They, they like the economics. They like the prosperity. They like the fact that poor people got much less poor, that the middle class got much more prosperous. I mean, but they just, they, they bought into the shrillness you know, uh, of the media saying, well, you can't, you're not allowed to like this guy. Um, okay. Now you see what you fought. Um, you know, you're, you're living Democrat economics, you know, where Democrat economics are solely stimulate, stimulate, give money out, give money out, and don't require work, don't require productivity. So you get people that choose to stay home. So now you have millions of workers who disappeared, and you have inflation. Um, but... There's also another level of sort of donkey's hell going on here, and that is media makes its living having us hate each other. So, you know, I, I almost wish you, you know, I, I've tried this multiple times um, uh, with different audiences, saying walk me through something positive that the Democrats have done in their now 16 months of controlling everything. What do you? What's What's Congress, the best answer? What's the best answer you've gotten on that? Received. Um, a classic Democrat answer. Well, they meant well. Are they tried? Mm-hmm. Are they cared? Mm-hmm. And and remember that the, the left benchmark is, is virtue signaling. It's the intention. Yeah. Where Republicans we judge policies by outcome. Did the tax reform make society more prosperous? Um, and we should do the same. Did the Democrats? 
couple trillion dollars of additional spending last year. What did it do? Well, it set off inflation and it set off a misery, not only in the United States, but in some ways cascaded it around the world. Do you have, because I've done this with the audience, and, and, and yes, I've led the witness on this, because I have said again and again, I can't think of one index, one indice that the Biden administration has made better, not on the economy, not on the culture, not on foreign relations, not on, for, on national defense. Uh, I, could, I could go down the list. I, I don't need to do it for you. I can't think of one thing they've made better. I can think of almost everything they've made worse. But in many ways, am I, am I the problem? Own, go ahead. Sorry. Go yeah, ahead. But you're answering your own question. Yeah. Now, so if you have an honest survey, a well done poll, um, and nine out of 10 folks say they just, they're, they, 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 they feel the stress. And even though employment is good, but your wages aren't keeping up with prices. So every day you're a little bit poor, even though you're working. Um, And how many businesses do you go into and they're apologizing because the service is horrible? Are they going to have almost 70 to 80 percent, 70 to 80 percent and probably 90 percent of any restaurant? And and does that not give you a sense that the Democrats actually their philosophy of you shouldn't have to work? um, You know, we as government will take care of you did have a cascade effect. It basically devalued that relationship with being part of society and work as being part of society. Um, there are solutions. I was enraged listening to one of the Dem- uh, uh, the Biden administration's uh, economic advisors acting like Republicans haven't been offering solutions. We're offering solutions every day. We just could never, ever get one of our amendments heard. We could never actually have an opportunity to present one in a committee. That the, the left is so terrified of what uh, of, of people finding out how badly they've screwed things up. Um, they've almost shut the process down. David, I got to so, take a quick break. Can you stay, or do you have to run and deal with more chaos? No, no, go ahead. Because go ahead. I want to ask you this on the other side. If you can think, well, you don't need to think about. It. You probably know the answer already. But if you can address on the other side of this break. You know, how much of this is hopeful, wishful thinking on their part? How much of this is deliberately knowing that they're causing a lot of pain here because they really do believe in the transformational end? Uh, How much of this is, in other words, malfeasance and how much of it is deliberate? Can we talk a little bit about that when we come back? The answer is it's both. Come back and I'll explain. I will. I promise that's a good enticement. I'm Seth Leibson. He's David Schweiker, and we will be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. It is a delight to have with us, as we do every Wednesday, Congressman David Schweiker joining us. David, I was just talking about um, almost 90% of Americans think we're going in the wrong direction. You think about the way the Democrats have handled power since uh, they were inaugurated in 2021 and what they have done on various policy issues. And my question is, how much of this is wishful thinking that they they, they want to do the liberal nostrums? Uh, they don't know how it will work out, so they're hoping it will work out. How much of it is deliberate in the sense of we really want to fundamentally transform America? Think about maybe energy uses, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. You, get the, you get the tone of the question. What's no, no, I get the tone. And my answer is it's both. So if you actually take their position on green energy 
and you hear their speeches, if you actually listen to them, they made it very clear there's going to be pain, there's going yeah. to be disruption. Right. They just didn't understand that that pain and disruption was really going to make even their own voters cranky. You know, um, they, their utopianism somehow thought there'll be a little bit of pain and then tomorrow we'll live in an alternative energy universe. That was purposeful. They did it on purpose. The inflation, I think, was they were living in a fantasy about economics. We can give away money. We can finance people not to work with no work requirement. We're going to send them checks, and the world will be fine and happy. And so in that case, they woke up the next day, and they weren't listening to many of their own even liberal economists which is hysterical right now, economists that a year ago were cheering on you know, modern monetary policy and the Democrats all of a sudden now are writing papers saying something completely different. Um, so in that case, the, the Democrats' religion of big government, free money, basically turned around and became a false god. You know, the, what, where they've been worshiping turned out to be painful to all of America. David, do you think that some of the leadership in the Democratic Party, either at the White House or at the House of Representatives, do you think that they thought more Americans would be okay with the pain because they think the American people are as ideological as they are? Is there an element of that you think? And they're being, um, they're a little they're getting a little yeah, sticker okay. shock that the American people are not exactly where the left wing of the Democrat well where the left wing is. Yeah. Um Remember our, our, our mantra, our rule, yeah. money, power, vanity. Right. The Democrats get stunning amounts of money from the green energy, green investors, green mutual funds, green hedge funds, those things. So in some ways, they were taking this cash for their campaign. They had to deliver. Um, they also had the other side, the union. Well... A lot of the union policies they've been pushing, like give me an example. They're screaming at us that we need to fix supply chain. In the Democrats' Build Back Better is a um, piece of language that says you cannot automate the port in California. So, and that was a giveaway to the Longshoremen Union saying, well, we'll, we'll uh, make it so we can't automate, even though then we're going to complain about big business not fixing supply chain. Yeah. Right. So it became a lot of the really stupid economics that the Democrats have engaged in were financed by their political contributors. This was the demand um, Democrats signed up for when they took their money. I had a um, I had a caller earlier in the day, earlier in the show, who was asking why uh, why Republicans in Congress can't do more about this, that, or the other thing. I think in this case it had to do with the uh, the Jan 6 defendants, etc. It, it, there's really very little the minority can do right now, isn't there? I mean, aside from getting— yeah. so you, can't, you guys can't even hold hearings on okay. things, right? This is, for import, this is important for everyone to hear. Now, I, please. The House is what they call a majoritarian right. body. Right. If you hold the majority, you make all the rules. Right. You decide everything from, you know, what hours you're open to what days you work to whether anyone gets an amendment to whether anyone can even speak yep. on the floor of the House. 
The Senate is a different animal. That's the right. Senate has a culture where a minority member, so Republican, it may not be able to stop things, but they can slow things down. They yep. can make it, you know, painful. In the House, and under Nancy Pelosi, particularly this term, they have stripped Republicans of all sorts of things, even even the ability to offer amendments, yep. to um, participate in committees. I do not believe a in committees, in the major committees, there's been a single amendment of any consequence um, that's even been properly debated. Yeah, no, that's right. Um, I, the most you can do is give a floor speech, and uh, yeah. best I can, yeah, be, best is my understanding is it's not the Senate in that sense, and I think it's important for people to realize that, which is, by the way, why it is so much more the important that we change the House uh, uh, coming November. And, and isn't it also true, maybe you told me this on air, I wouldn't disclose it if it weren't, but someone on air told me, David, that even on that point you were making, uh, Speaker Pelosi has even irrigated further powers than other speakers of the House have done, uh, that committee chairs really... Oh, yeah. She's yeah. even stripped her own Democrat committee yeah. chairs yeah. of the ability to hold hearings. So, okay, House of Representatives, the Ways and Means Committee, we have a member who's been on the committee for almost 40 years. Yep. He, and he's actually a fairly decent human being. He's liberal, but he, he's He's not crazy. Yeah. He's from you know outside Boston. He's in Massachusetts. And you can just see the sadness. He, yeah. His life's goal was to become the chairman of the Ways and Means <laughs> Committee, the, the only committee mentioned in the U.S. Constitution. Right. And he gets there, and he can't run his own committee because it's being run out of the Speaker's office. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting what their views of uh, you know what their what their views of tyranny are when they keep lecturing well, us. But, but you know, it's, it's the typical Democrat collectivism, yeah, command and control. You know, you get to be our Stalin, and everyone else is part of the proletariat, and you, you just march along. David, I got to go in a minute, but is it fair to say she's the most powerful person in Washington? Your Speaker of the House. Um. Yeah, I, that's what I think. Yeah, too. And, and she and the reason and, you know, the number one reason she's speaker. Yeah. She raises boatloads of money. Oh, the yeah. modern speaker is about money raising. Yeah. You know, it isn't Tip O'Neill Day nope. where the tip sat there in the chair and adjudicated fights on the floor. Today, the speaker's job is to raise stunning amounts of cash for the next election cycle. I'm on her fundraising um, email list. I'll tell you, it is tons of grist for this show. I don't know if you're on it or not, but you may want to sign up for it. I, it, I can't. I can't stomach it. I, I just uh, can't uh, stomach oh my it gosh, anymore. David! I, it, there's too much. There's too much craziness out there. <laughs> I get it. No, I understand. But, I understand. I know. <laughs> part, of, part of the problem in our society is people believe because it's politics, you can make crap up. Yeah. And not be held accountable. Yep. Yep. Well, the accounting's coming, and you're going to help lead it. David Schweikert, as always, by the way, again, congratulations to your growing family, and thanks for being Yay. here, buddy. Well, the dear Lord has blessed us and, and stressed us all at the same time. As, as it should be. As it should, you're never yeah. given anything right. more than you can handle. You know that. You're wonderful, Seth. You are, thanks. too. Bye all now. right. Be right back. As we go to break, let me put in a word for our friends at Y-Refi, investyrefi.com. Great people who are offering a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25% for investors. If you're looking for a great investment opportunity, it's all in a secure and collateralized portfolio. Check them out at investyrefi.com. The investors do really well by doing really good, and you can too. Investyrefy.com. 
We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. That is one powerful voice in Glenn Campbell. Let me give you a more powerful voice, Vera Gibran. She is running for state legislature here in Legislative District 4. It's a newly created legislative district. I'll let her discuss the uh, contours of it, but it's certainly where I live and certainly where this station operates. She is looking to represent us in uh, November, starting in November's election and the primaries that come up this August, I have to tell you, uh, Vera is uh, endorsed by all the right people. Uh, She just received an endorsement from uh, the Center for Arizona Policies uh, Political Action Committee. She has received an endorsement from me, the great Andy Biggs, the great Nancy Bartow, Make Liberty Win, which is a tremendous national organization. Vera is what I call a game changer. Vera, welcome back to the show. Oh, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for your very sincere and loving welcome. It is very (laughs) sincere. I mean, the legislature needs you. The state needs you. Many of you uh, may know uh, Vera from previous appearances here. You may know her from her family business. She helped co-found and co-runs U.S. Egg, which is a fantastic Restaurant chain here in uh, in the Arizona area with what six different restaurants? Yes, now? we have them all Fabulous. over the valley. Fabulous people yes. should uh, if they're going to have breakfast, do the patriotic thing. It's a fabulous uh, restaurant chain, and uh, you'll be uh, supporting people who uh, love this country, which is why I wanted to have you in here, Vera. Thank um, you. Right after the July Fourth weekend and extending, it's been crowded out by news, but you know the news is going to come and go, and we do the durables here, the things that last, as I know you do. Well, tell me about the 4th of July and what it means to you and your family. Wow. Uh, so many things rush into my mind. Um, well, first of all, thank you again. Thank you so much for having me. It's such an honor and a pleasure to be in your company and you. in your brilliant conversation. Uh, so obviously the word freedom comes to mind and... For me and my family, I, you know, I started uh, really getting into philosophy quite early in my life and so much so that my mother would actually make me stop reading and make me go outside and play in the summers. But very early on, I surmised that for me, the word love meant the freedom to be completely as God created me to be in complete freedom to fulfill my potential without hindrance, without obstacle, but just an, an absolute uh, unwavering amount of possibility. And that's what love means to me, whether it's in a relationship or whether it's being in this country. An opportunity having the being in a relationship that allows you to be everything that you have the potential of being. And America afforded me the experience of love, truly, uh, as God created me. And this goes for my family. So when I think about last night, actually, while I was watching the fireworks, I was thinking about my ancestors uh, and their journey to America, how difficult it was and, you know, life-threatening it was. And I recall some of the stories. Uh, my uh, my great-aunt, who I had lived to 98 years old, 
uh, told me the story of when she, her first attempt to come to America, she and her sister were diverted actually to Cuba due to an eye condition that she had. And then they had a second go around and they used their womanly wiles to kind of, you know, get past uh, the the inspection and they were able to come to America. And my grandfather, my Jiddi Gibran, which is Arabic for my grandfather Gibran, he actually lost his life here in a car accident, which prohibited him from bringing my father and his siblings over. So that's why we waited until really a little bit later and the outbreak of the Civil War that um, kind of, um, you know, allowed us for the opportunity to come to America. So the Gibrons have been literally putting their lives on the line to experience the love that America offers, that, that experience and opportunity to truly live in freedom. And I know that that was kind of a lengthy response. No, it's, but... it's the most beautiful <laughs> response that goes to the heart of the project here. We'll do education and uh, gun rights in a second or on the other side of this break, because I know you have strong views on that. But the notion of love in this country is one that is fading. Uh, but it was something our founders understood very well. It's no accident that they put the words, all men are created equal, into writing in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. That's what this is about. This is a love project, this country. It was for them. And gosh darn it, I am glad it is for you too. Vera, let me take a quick break. Vera Gibran is our guest. You can uh, go to her website, votevera.com, V-O-T-E-V-E-R-A.com, votevera.com, to help her out and learn more about her. When we come back, we'll see what that love means with respect to education and protecting freedom, the Second Amendment. Don't go away. We'll be right back. The temperature always rises when Vera Gibran comes into a room. Vera Gibran is a candidate for the state legislature. VoteVera.com, V-O-T-E-V-E-R-A.com. I was talking about fading love and dissipating patriotism right before the break, uh, Vera, coming out of the 4th of July weekend. You look around, you worry about this, or I do, especially when you look at what the Democratic Party is saying, the kinds of stuff you saw out of Pima, that sort of thing. But you don't think it's quite dead yet or even on life support, do you? I really don't. I believe that it's being PR'd that way. It's being marketed that way. And and uh, the powers that be are definitely uh, putting it out there as what's happening. But I that's not my experience. It's not the experience of my family. I've been knocking on doors, you know, for the last couple of months, um, having really meaningful conversations with my constituents. And my observation is that love is robustly alive, both for the country and for each other. And I have absolutely uh, observed uh, a welcomingness amongst different factions and religions and groups. I think it's all baloney that they that they are that they are PRing that love is dead and that there's there's divisiveness. And uh, of course, we're always going to have racial issues, but it's not the majority. I want what you just said to be understood by everyone in earshot, because for several weeks now I've been saying 
that just because the elites stand for something, what you may get communicated to you through the media and the education institutions and, you know, entertainment, that's not the vast majority of Americans. And what you're saying is exactly that. You knock on doors, you talk to people, they're not where the elites are. Absolutely what Disney not. says is not what people in Scottsdale and Phoenix are no, saying. No, sir, absolutely Fantastic. not. Not my experience at all and not my family's experience either. I mean, we come into contact with probably a thousand people every day across six locations. Vera, I don't know. Education. uh, Let's do education for a moment. Uh, It's obviously something near and dear to your heart. You've helped educate uh, something like seven young children, (laughs) as I understand it. Yes. The NEA is meeting this weekend. Here's one view of education. I'd like yours. Here's one view. The NEA put this out today. Bill, you'll like this. Vera, I don't know if you've seen this. The NEA, the National Education Association, is a social justice union that is a majority female and trans and gender non-conforming group of people who will fight against attacks on our members, students, families, and communities and the reproductive rights of all all persons who are able to. They can't say the word woman. (laughs) Vera. That's one view of education. It's social justice meant to protect the members of the NEA. What's your view of education? Well, first of all, the fact that they can't say woman is very sad yeah. because I certainly enjoy being one. It's, it's, uh, a lot of people are being deprived here. So it's my understanding that um, transgenderism really applies to 0.06 of 1% of the population. This is not inclusive as they are. Their agenda is not inclusive as they are uh, claiming. My perspective of education is a very pragmatic and practical one. It acknowledges multiple fronts. One of the things that uh, I want to champion and continue championing in this country is the innovative and powerful American spirit that truly only lives here. And it's because of the way that we educate. We bring up our children multitasking, doing sports, doing music, doing chess and debate. And, and so we're producing these extraordinary world citizens that, that are innovate, innovators and that are forward thinking and are futurists. Other countries really rely on a lot of memorization, but when it comes to execution, it's zero. So I definitely want to focus on, on that American spirit. In addition to that, we need to bring back um, civics uh, uh, training because sadly a lot of our citizens don't understand what their role is and the power of their movement and their voices that needs to be uh, reinstated obviously and always reading science math writing those are those are our basic tenets that need to be revamped and in, in addition to that, we need to bring in 21st century learning, which, you know, of course, Seth, you and I, when we went to school, we didn't have to uh, film, edit. We didn't need to right. PR ourselves. Right. So there's an entire set of 21st century skills that are required for our children to be functioning and productive citizens. That would include every school having a green room so that uh, they can learn how to film and edit, uh, PR themselves, market themselves public speaking skills, and, of course, financial literacy has become extremely important. Whether you believe in the crypto movement or not, it is coming, and our children need to be learned in that faction as well. Now, something that is 
not getting any PR and not getting any love is the vocations. When oh, thank you, God. you when you yeah. and I were children, right. we we were in junior year, senior year, we had the opportunity to be, you know, learn mechanics, mm-hmm. you know, car mechanics, yep. uh, elec- uh, electricians, plumbing. We called it you know, shop class, but exactly, yeah, Votech or exactly. some version of that, right. So here's an opportunity. Uh, Listen, we have learned that college is not for everybody. Right. If you have the opportunity to learn, you know, take shop just as a shortcut, mm-hmm. we'll call mm-hmm. it shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, for In junior and senior year, you have the option of leaving high school, being a productive citizen, and well-earning as well. Rather than going to college, especially if you know it's not for you, rather than going to college and accruing debt for the next four or five years while you are running two jobs and, you know, you're like exhausted by the time you're 25. This is ridiculous. Those options need to come back. Everything that doesn't really need, you know, surgical training. Mm -hmm. We could do beauticians. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, like most people who live in my district, I have the the uh, privilege of getting my nails done and I'm speaking to my technicians and they're closing up their shops because the Asian um, uh, groups are now they've all sent their children to college mm-hmm. and so first and second generation Asians can't fill those positions mm-hmm. this is a great opportunity to be addressed during junior and senior year and I think it's also something that more and more parents I hope are beginning to realize you know there are good colleges and there are not good colleges There are Absolutely. good programs within not good colleges. There are good, terrible programs within great colleges. It's not for everybody, and God forbid we send our kids to places where they learn to become indoctrinated to hate this country, which is unfortunately more and more the case. I love the idea of bringing back skills, teaching skills in high school. We could use a lot more of that. One more segment with Vera Gibran when we come right back. VoteVera.com, running for state legislature. My gosh, this woman will be a game changer in the legislature. You do not want to miss the opportunity to have Vera Gibran in the state legislature. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Vera Gibran has been our guest. She just taught me some French philosophy over the break. Napoleon evidently <laughs> said girls like guys with skills. They certainly good, good. Uh, Vera, Second Amendment. I know you get asked about it a lot, certainly in the wake of Highland. Uh, just say a word or two about where you are in the Second Amendment any way you want. Oh, my goodness. Okay, the Second Amendment. So my lineage, (laughs) uh, I'll tell you a little bit about my background. Uh, Obviously, I'm I'm Lebanese. I'm a Lebanese immigrant. I come from a country where women are traditionally demure and ladylike. And my grandmothers... We had men were absent from our home during the Civil War, so uh, we were particularly vulnerable. And both of my grandmothers, from one end of their house to the other, underneath the floorboards, we were completely equipped to defend ourselves. I'm, my grandmothers were four foot six and about five feet tall, <laughs> so uh, that's one aspect of it. The other I like, uh, which is a little bit more serious, is I come from a village called Zahli, Lebanon. And in 1981, uh, an infiltration was happening. And due to the terrain, the Lebanese uh, military uh, based in Beirut was not able to get Zahli, the equipment it needed to defend itself. And so from April to June in 1981, the citizens of this village, which was comprised of, I think, approximately 250 homes, 
Every citizen above the age of 14 took up arms. Every young boy, 14, 15, 16 years old, put their life on the line. We surrounded our village 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for three months nonstop in opposition to that invasion. And I can tell you, Seth, though my immediate family wasn't in Lebanon any longer, my cousins, my aunts, my uncles, they were all there. Every household perished, including my family's households. Every one of us paid a price for freedom. It was 14-year-olds, 15-year-olds, 16, 17-year-olds losing their lives, putting their lives on the line for their independence and their continued freedom. So that is how I feel about the Second Amendment. No compromise, no surrender. Zero, ever, under any circumstance, not even an inch, ever. Not an inch. VoteVera.com. Vera Gibran for state legislature, folks. I'll say it again. Do not turn down the opportunity to have this great citizen, this great American, this great woman in your state legislature. VoteVera.com. V-O-T-E-V-E-E. Excuse me. V-O-T-E-V-E-R-A.com. V-O-T-E-V-E-R-A.com. L-D-4. Vera, bless you and thank you. God bless you. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.